Road trips are easily one of the most romanticized travel options available in our society. Who doesn't love the idea of hopping into a car and heading out with snacks and good company? It's an opportunity to see more of the world, to sing songs at top volume, and to eat absolute garbage for days on end. But as fun as it can be, exploring a new space can be dangerous, even if you're in a car. This is especially true if you run into the wrong kind of people. My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the murder of Peter Falconio and the abduction of Joanne Lease. These two backpackers set out to explore Australia in 2001 and ended up running into a local man with some really bad intentions. As I mentioned in the end of my last episode, this past week, I went on my first ever overnight backpacking trip to Lost Lake. The trail out was four miles to the campground, and I cannot even tell you what an adventure it was. There were raging rivers, creeks to cross, a gorgeous lake, snow drifts, and our campsite back to layers of mountains that literally just stretched on for miles. Of course, there were also ants everywhere, and I spent a lot of time flinging them off of literally anything that I set down. And I did have to balance on some rocks to cross a creek, which almost ended poorly until I learned that my shoes are actually insanely waterproof and I could have just walked through the creek like a normal person. But overall, I had so much fun. In fact, I probably had a little too much fun because when I went to share the pictures later, I realized that I took 764 pictures. Yes, for a single one-night trip. I will now pause to accept your judgment. So anyway, as we all know, when you go out in nature, there is no real guarantee of safety. And you feel that when you really just go off trail and go out there. As you might have noticed, I run a true crime podcast about people getting murdered in the woods. So, yeah, I was a little afraid of running into someone who might want to murder me or make a mask out of my face, which I think we can all agree is not the kind of COVID-19 solution that anyone is looking for. Least of all me. Fortunately, I have one particularly effective anti-murder tool. My boyfriend. When I brought up the whole potential for murder out in the middle of nowhere with no self-service thing, he wasn't worried at all. So, naturally, I was thinking, man, that is definitely the guy who dies in every horror film. But, yeah, go off, dude. See... He's a military guy. He's all trained. He knows how to fight people. He's a pretty big dude and goes to the gym. So he's got all that confidence that my 5'5 body and noodle arms just cannot grant me. I mentioned a potential murderer and he just said they would literally have to have a gun, the drop on us, 
and they would need to kill me before I bridged the gap, because otherwise the opportunity would present itself and I would take it. Like, he's literally over there just thinking, oh yeah, I'd kill a killer, while I'm still panicking about the fact that apparently bears are attracted to scented deodorant and toothpaste. Since I'm not bringing you this episode from Beyond the Grave, you might have guessed that everything went according to plan, other than a gross miscalculation of how much freeze-dried food we would need. The good news is we have more than enough left over for our next trip. It was a great trip, but it was also a reminder of how lucky I am. Because there are a lot of people who walk out into the forest and they never walk back out. Peter Falconio and Joanne Lees were a couple in their late 20s and they loved to explore. These backpackers first met in a nightclub and before long they were traveling the world and partying where they went. Joanne and Peter had big plans to explore as much as they could. And for a while, that's exactly what they did. They went to Italy, Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand. After a couple of years, they found themselves in Australia, and they were loving it. Taking a road trip seemed like the next evolution of their big journey because they wanted to see more of Australia. So they obtained a camper and made a plan to travel from Sydney to Brisbane. At this point, I must issue a correction here, because in my last episode, I mentioned we would discuss a case in the forest, and while that was my original plan, I decided to take you to a tropical savanna instead. And I think you'll see why. Peter and Joanne took to the road, planning on living their lives to the fullest, and for a while, that was working really, really well. While the couple was driving, they noticed that a car was following them, which does happen. You know, other people are allowed on the road, whether we want them to be or not. Now, I've never driven at night through the outback, but I'm a pretty paranoid person, and I suspect that a lot of you are too. (laughs) I would be worried because I'm always worried, but there was no reason for them to be worried. Not really. They probably just thought that the person following them was headed in the same direction. It happens, right? But then the car got closer. And then the car pulled around them. These two found themselves face to face with a stranger in the middle of nowhere, and he was frantically trying to get their attention. He managed to tell them to pull over, claiming that he noticed something was wrong with their van. Most of us are fairly weary of car trouble, so they did just that. The man informed them that their tailpipe was blowing out sparks. Now, I don't know anything about cars, but in the imaginary car science in my head, That is the exact kind of behavior that would indicate that the car was about to explode into a million pieces like in one of the Fast and the Furious movies. The man offered to help 
So he and Peter walked to the back of the vehicle to check it out. The plan was that they would watch the tailpipe while Joanne revved the engine to recreate the problem, and then they would make a plan from there. But when Peter walked back with the man, Joanne never got the chance to rev the engine because of another sound. The sound was a gunshot, and that was the last that Joanne saw of Peter. A moment later, the driver and murderer was out the window, and he had a gun pointed right at her. Using the gun as leverage, the driver tied up Joanne and forced her into the back of his car. He then busied himself with something else, leaving her alone. Now, as my beloved would say, you never leave a prisoner alone. While the killer was distracted, Joanne managed to escape by pulling her bound arms from behind her back. She ran out into the brush, in the Australian outback, with no weapons and no way of knowing if she was going to escape this man just to run into a wild animal or venomous insect. And she hid. Joanne hid while her boyfriend's murderer searched for her. She hid for over five hours out in the wilderness, staying out of sight. When it finally seemed safe, she ran out and managed to flag down a truck driver who took her to the police. I think that there are so many terrifying parts of this story, but something that really struck me was how much danger Joanne was in every single moment. I don't think that we need to speculate about the killer's intentions with Joanne. We all know what kind of world this is, and we all know that there's a reason this man immediately killed her boyfriend, but clearly planned to take her. And then, to escape this, she had to run out into incredibly dangerous wilderness and hide. And then, to escape that, she had to flag down another strange man and hope that he wouldn't do something to her as well. Every new stage of this story is just unimaginable for me, and I think that there's so much to Joanne's story alone. If you're interested in that, she actually wrote a book called No Turning Back, where she wrote it all out. I haven't read it yet, but I did download it, and I plan to do a follow-up on this story in more depth later when I've gotten the chance to take some notes and really comb through it. As a ghostwriter, I'm always really interested in books like this, because a lot of the time when someone wants to tell their story, I'm the kind of person they look for. Everyone has a story to tell, and a lot of us have a story that we want to share, but not everyone likes writing. My work has led me to a lot of deeply personal discussions with people who have been through some truly horrible circumstances, and it teaches you a lot about human resiliency. Joanne wrote this book in her own words, and I'm pretty excited to check it out for that reason. Even though it is commonly accepted that Peter Falconio was murdered, his body was never found. 
Police found the car, but they didn't find him. And this all presented a unique challenge. With no murderer and no body, the attention fell on Joanne, even after they found a suspect. From what I could find, it basically fell to Joanne to prove that the entire ordeal happened at all. I cannot imagine the pressure of having to explain to an audience that what she claims happened really did happen, especially because there wasn't a lot of evidence. Ultimately, and again, I cannot imagine having to go through this, the courts forced Joanne to physically show how she could get her hands from behind her back while she was tied up. The thought of having to act out such a traumatic moment just to prove that you didn't make it up is unimaginable, and Joanne is not the first victim in court to go through this. I don't know if this makes it better or worse, but apparently this had a pretty big influence on the case. And a lot of people believe that this action was what tilted everything in her favor. So... How did they catch this killer, and who was he? Camera footage from a local gas station showed a man who seemed to match Joanne's description of the person and his car. Police released the footage, assuming it would lead to the man being cleared, or maybe further evidence. When this didn't happen, police began to look for local owners of that kind of vehicle. It was older, so they started working through and interviewing him. One person that they interviewed was a man named Bradley Murdoch. Nothing seemed to really raise a flag until they managed to catch another criminal that worked with Murdoch. This man seemed to have knowledge of what happened. And then Murdoch disappeared. In a completely different part of Australia, Murdoch was captured for another kidnapping charge. And then the DNA evidence was pulled. Murdoch's DNA was found on Joanne and all over the car, so that was fairly damning. Of course, Murdoch had a really bizarre excuse for this. He claimed that they must have swapped DNA while buying chicken at a nearby place weird excuse, right? Well, it really didn't look good when Murdoch was in prison and demanded a special dietitian to make food for him because he claimed that he was allergic to chicken. And the chicken defense wasn't the only weird attempt to get out of this either. His lawyers actually argued that Peter Falconio was still alive and was just somewhere in hiding. Basically, they did everything that they could to create doubt around this case. But in the end, he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, a fact which he has continuously tried to dispute with no success. Since then, Joanne has moved on with her life, her work, and has worked hard to share her unimaginably terrible story. And Peter's body was never recovered. In 
In the last episode, I mentioned that I found a case while I was on my backpacking trip. The area that I went to backs to some pretty expansive wilderness, and there are miles and miles of trails through there, and there's plenty of space well beyond that, too. When I arrived, the first thing I noticed was missing person signs everywhere asking for information about a man named Josh Hall. Josh is a 27-year-old hiker who headed out with his dog Happy on February 3rd at the Hesse Trailhead. Police were able to find a cell phone ping for him near the Devil's Thumb Lake, which is a few miles beyond where I was camping. About a week later, Happy was found healthy but hungry. Josh is still missing. His family is still hoping that he'll be found, and hikers in the area are looking for him as well. But at this point, Josh is considered a missing person. I've learned a lot over the last week about natural spaces and the risks that come with them. And I don't just mean walking on slippery rocks in a creek. My first backpacking trip was a success, but... Between what happened to Peter and Joanne and seeing signs for someone who vanished into thin air in the same place where I was camping, someone who clearly has more outdoor experience than I even do, it's pretty sobering. You know that I say this all the time, but I really mean it. Take active steps to stay safe when you go outside. Don't go hiking alone. Don't go camping without reading about the area and animal activity in advance. Don't be the person who tries to take a selfie with a wild animal or a cliff edge. And above all else, if something does go wrong, because things do go wrong, do whatever you can to make sure that you walk out of it alive. It won't be easy, and as we know, it won't always work, but... You owe it to yourself to try. So on that dramatic note, if you want to connect and talk about the show, nature, amateur backpacking, or weirdly waterproof shoes, check out the official social media on Twitter and Instagram using the tag at datpod. And if you're a regular on the page, you might have noticed that the bio now includes a link for my new Instagram, Reverse Nature, where I'll be posting photos from my adventures because somehow I started a true crime podcast about people dying in nature and actually ended up really enjoying going outside. And of course, for ad-free listening, feel free to become a patron at patreon.com slash like and inscribe. Thanks, guys. <laughs>